It's Wednesday, May 12th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. On the show with us today is Stephen Loha, all the way from Chicago. He's the Director of Developer Relations at ETC Cooperative, supporting Ethereum Classic projects. How's it going, fellas? Yeah, it's good. going great. Going great. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, and I saw when I was looking you up here, ETC Cooperative, if you can tell us a little bit about that, I saw it's a 501c3. I'm just curious. I, I know how 501c3s work, but how do they work pertaining to cryptocurrency and supporting Ethereum Classic projects? And then we can get into what Ethereum Classic is and all that kind of fun stuff. So if you want to give us a little intro there, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So ETC Cooperative, um, I actually joined the ETC Cooperative probably nine months ago. Um, a lovely place. Uh, it's run by uh, Bob Summerwell. He's a great guy. Uh, very, very, uh, very kind guy. And uh, also work with uh, Kevin there, who's also ETC Cooperative, and Allison. All really cool people. And ETC Cooperative is a nonprofit. So we're basically supporting the Ethereum Classic projects and core infrastructure projects. Um, for example, like all the block, all the major block explorers now for ETC Coop uh, are being supported by ETC Cooperative in conjunction with some of our partners, and we're also we also use the funding to fund research and development, and also anything that could steward Theorem Classic uh, adoption, governance, and um, and just uh, innovation. Um, so a few ways we do that is through a lot of things that were. Uh, funding right now, which we get into later uh, about when what's going on with Theorem Classic. That's kind of like a high level uh, overview of um, how what our mission is and what we do day to day. Yeah, awesome, man, awesome. So maybe if we could take a, uh, another step back from that, what got you into cryptocurrency, and then what got you into the ETC Cooperative focused on Ethereum Classic? Oh yeah, so that, that that was a fun one. So before I got into crypto in general, I was, uh, I was already kind of doing some tech stuff in the uh, online learning center, uh, online learning in industry, um, and uh, and I and I discovered Bitcoin, crypto, and and just it resonated with me when it came to like peer to peer technologies, uh, decentralization, trust minimization. That really inspired from that. I got my whole IT department into crypto. We're all running around the office back in my old job talking about crypto and everything. <laughs> what year was I, that? I, How far back was that? Um, I would say that was 2015, 2016. Oh, wow. and, I, and I was a guy that I, and used to put uh, Bitcoin and and all kinds of crypto posters all around my cubicles. People walk around. We all have a great conversation. <laughs> but um, yeah, anyways, I, I was like, I want to do this stuff full time. I love crypto. I was a hobbyist miner as well. Uh, mining theorem classic you're and, the one um, who took all my gpus it was you yeah right <laughs> and um yeah so uh yeah so while, while i was working my more traditional job i was i was racking gpus turned the garage into my own mining mining operations and then um say so, and then i joined ETC dev team, which is one of the Ethereum Classic core organizations. I joined there as technical writer, and then I joined uh, ETC Labs, and now I'm at uh, ETC Co-op. And you know, I love the 
vision of crypto. I'm not a maximalist, maximalist by any means. I think we're all in this together to, uh, you know, it's like a financial revolution in, in, in the end. That's how I kind of, how I, how I see it. And I think it's the future and, um, uh, whether it's today, tomorrow, I just hope I'm always involved in crypto. Awesome, man. So what do you, I guess I have a few other jump off questions from what you just said, but one of them is you just mentioned you're not an, a maximalist. How, what does that mean in this world? So when a lot of people say you're a maximalist, you think like you're, you're annoyed, you're, you, you like a coin, but you're a no, no coiner, I guess. Like they say Bitcoiners or ETH maximalists. I think. And, and they, in the ETC community in general, there's a lack, there's a lack of maximalists there. Cause you kind of, you can kind of look like when Ethereum came to be, I think it was originally proposed to be on, on Bitcoin. They said no. And um, in the Ethereum classic side, because you and with the DAO fork and how it was created, you kind of have a lot of people who have Bitcoin take on money and the Ethereum uh, take on extended functionality into one community and one project. So I guess uh, a lot of people who are in ETC, they already came with their compromises. And um you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna like say one or the other, it's like but you kind of have both philosophies and stuff. Uh, but um, also, I think every cryptocurrency has its own niche use use case. You know, like uh, oh, you're a utility token for an exchange. All right, that's cool. Or you're a uh, you know you're trying to just be some reward for some game. That's fine. Or you're just trying to be peer to payments for the world. That's all. That's also fantastic. So, uh, and also, I guess if we had one coin, it would immediately be uh, um, be DOS attack. So, I probably wouldn't be able to scale to. I don't. I don't think any coin could support being the only coin to be to be utilized. It'd just be uh, non-functional. Is that what a maximalist would mean then? I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm trying to make sure I fully understand it myself. Would that mean you basically there's just one one coin to rule them all? One coin to rule them all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so for the I listeners, actually, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I found yeah, yeah, I, was just, I was googling, um, you know, as as we tend to do, and uh, came across something on Investopedia that basically is what is a Bitcoin maximalist, and and it, it starts off by stating, Bitcoin maximalists believe that Bitcoin, which is the world's most popular cryptocurrency, is the only digital asset that will be needed in the future. So if you just take that at its base. Uh, base level here basically is mm -hmm. saying that all other forms of digital currencies are inferior to bitcoin and basically nothing else matters and satoshi nakamoto or whatever his name was is the uh is the deity behind it so <laughs> it, it seems gotcha. to be that that's that's sort of the direction that this goes i don't know if i overstated that steven but technically i was reading off of investopedia and it's their fault <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Bitcoin, or at least from from all the readings I did, they were always the ones that were sort of accused of that first. Because and man, there's plenty of hate out there towards other crypto that comes from Bitcoin channels, whether it's on Reddit or elsewhere. But that was the first time I saw it. And then other uh, cryptocurrency maximalists started to sort of bubble up and say, "Why do we need Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc.? Because I've got some random crap coin, and it's going to take over the world." Um, yeah. Just I'm, to be I'm clear, curious, Tyler. You you knew about the maximalization movement. I did, I did, but I was a little late to join, so I didn't want to interject. Obviously, but um, did, no, did that's you know good. more about that or about the different types of bowling alley oils that are used to 
<laughs> to make sure that the lanes are good. I'm Probably more about the maximalist stuff okay. because I Very track good. a little closer than bowling alleys these days. Excellent. No, Sorry, my, my Steven, question that's... was actually on the, <laughs> yeah. on the heels, Stephen. Yeah, that's an inside joke. Um, but um, you mentioned something. It's a bit of a, a, you know, a financial revolution. And I see this a lot in the cryptocurrency and digital currency and decentralization in general. Um, what what do you think the impact is of a globally decentralized either store value, kind of like you said, cash versus you know derivative functions, things like smart contracts? What happens if the world creates a non-sovereign financial system? Like what what are the geopolitical impacts, or, or is it something that comes up, you know, in your circles? of, uh, you know, kind of pulling the rug out of, of traditional fiat in, well, a lot of parts of the world, right? I, I don't mm-hmm. know that you see, you see a, uh, a change necessarily in, in certain, crypt- or certain currencies in their liquidity and how they're considered, you know, backing um, treasuries. But, but in general, like, what, what does that mean? And, and is it always good? Um, so... I have I have this one article I written that decentralization is um it's, it's it's not an absolute. So when when you have this uh, non-sovereign currency, or I guess you say it's literally the people's money. Um, you know, you got you got to think about what 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 what's what's behind crypto. Like in my opinion, it's it's simply private property and enforcement of contracts. But you're enforcing those contracts via code instead of uh, you know, it's a traditional system where you'd go to police say, oh, you didn't give me my 50 bucks that he said he owed me. Instead, you would be programming that functionality. And um, basically, a, a lot of that financial enforcement would be via code. And the, the rules are up to you because you're able to author all that code. So, um, but I guess you say, like, when it comes to, like, geopolitical areas, I guess you say a, a, lot, of gover- a, lot, a lot of governments are kind of, um, coupled to this idea of you know inflation and everything else. So when it comes to crypto, uh, if you if you know people that are in like countries that are really torn down or they're 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 deteriorating far faster than than other countries and they're also based on fiat. Like you look at um I think Argentina's inflation rate, it looks like a 45 degree angle sometimes. And uh compared to other places in the world. And you have other places where you know they're having brewing wars, and you know, especially post post COVID, it just compounded everyone's issues. And all of the most disenfranchised places in the world are struggling far worse. So if you're like in Venezuela, for example, where the, I believe the energy is nationalized, it's like my currency's going worse. COVID happened. Oh my gosh, the economy's even worse. Like I could just mine barely any Bitcoin, but it's more than nothing. So there's so many people that have, have um, <clears throat> that have so much less to lose just to go into crypto, and you're already banked. You have this token that has value, um, or di- I would say just straight up, it's digital money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a lot of places, like you know, especially emerging market areas, it's like, what do they have to lose if they're already disenfranchised with the traditional system? Um, and obviously those systems are controlled by other actors. So why don't they have this non-sovereign coin? And, um, guess what? Like when, 
you think about where, where a lot of things are going and stuff and especially when it comes to the talent pool like uh like a lot of the talent pool is brain draining or a lot of crypto is brain draining a lot of the talent pool out there in the world um from a development perspective yeah, I'd say from a development perspective, like you, you see a lot of people from uh, fan companies, like some of their some of their leadership, or even in the financial sector, or a lot of the some of the A listers are going into uh, into crypto. People see, you know, you, you, and you have a, I guess you, you you know we have we have systems that are kind of falling apart, or they're just not sustainable. Like they want to print another four four trillion dollars in the United States. Um, in you know you help people out but also you're printing more debt onto them than you are signing them a paycheck so um so with crypto it's just like you know if, if there's a financial system that's like traveling or something people are going to crypto just to build and create value elsewhere and obviously that could kind of i'm not sure if that would disenfranchise governments because if you have people being if you're allowing people to be extremely productive uh, you're still going to have two things that are inevitable, which is death and taxes. So with crypto, it's abs- it's absolutely taxable. Um, I mean, Bitcoin's a public naked network. Anyone could just uh, surveillance the network and do taxation. Um, are you uh, just me or are we losing Steven? Like, okay, I thought that was me because I've had connectivity issues. You, you you went full robot on us, Steven. Yeah. Oh, really, just for a second or? There you go. Uh, for, yeah, for about 10 seconds there. Uh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so when it comes like the geopolitical issues, I think that's why the governments are kind of saying we need central bank due to currencies, which are really just like anything. I see so many articles that are like central bank digital currencies. And I'm, I'm just thinking <clears throat> like, are the banks just trying to up their stock price or something and act like they're <laughs> innovative? Cause everything's already digital. Like if you ever been to Ch- China, <clears throat> like uh, QR codes is pretty much like, like yeah. it really feels like they already have cryptocurrency, but it's still the central bank currencies. Everything's I, like QR code payments. I actually and have stuff. a pretty funny story about that. Uh, it, I won't tell it, but the very short version of that is I tried to pay cash for something in a store and I just couldn't. They didn't accept cash, like physical awesome. yuan. Well, <laughs> to your point. I, I had, the last time I was in China was like 2007, I think. And uh, they were still totally taking cash. So that changed fast. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And especially in the, major, in, the, in, the, in the major cities, like almost everything's digital. Um, and you only have like two apps to do it, right? Like, uh, was it like WeChat and Holiday? WeChat. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep that's right. And, and um, people are like, uh, oh, like, uh, you know, what if the governments get their central bank digital currency? It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe they, that, well, then they'll have more, even more absolute control of their financial system, especially if they're not solving the inequality issues and the inequality as in like inflation making people more poor, making the poor poorer and stuff. And and then when it comes to like I like to say particularly in the United States like UBI is already here now you can have your opinions on UBI obviously people need help I think government has a place in the world but um, 
you know, and when you have central bank digital currencies and now what the Fed has been saying, yeah, we're going to have accounts that go directly to the people. So now you basically nationalize the banking system. So now you have more central centralization of, of banking, especially if you're providing income to a significant amount of people and now you've controlled their income. You can control the consumer behavior by providing more incentive or upping whatever that payment, economic payments are. And, um, and really, it's just like, it seems like a double down of the system. So, and who knows, maybe you need negative interest rates across in order to go to negative interest rates to devalue national debts if you want to try to reset everything. Um, but, uh, but I think uh, governments are here to stay. But if you think about what if the governments were reliant on a, on a trusted historical ledger that was fairly distributed in, in control? And it's like the governments would actually have to be accountable and actually have to provide value in order to justify, you know, extracting value via taxes. Um, Because I think there is a, you know, I think about, I think, uh, what was it, 2020? I forget which year it was. It was 2020 or 2019. I think the U.S. government spent around uh, six point something trillion, but they only collected three point something in revenue. So it's like, yeah. like, man, what, 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 what if like we, if we had crypto, obviously it's a trusted historical ledger, ledger. I could see the accounts. I'm able to audit you. So let's say if I were like, if you're if any, any normal person and mo- almost any other country, if you came to them and said, yeah, I spend double what I received, they're probably going to say you are absolutely unqualified for a loan. Like, how do you even have good, like, what's your even credit score or whatever? But the, but for the government's case, obviously they have that privilege to, uh, uh, yeah. to do things that no one that to do things that other people would look at us be like, Oh, that's absolutely incompetent. They also have the distinct privilege of being able to issue their own debt in their own currency, <laughs> right? <laughs> which, which is a a very very specific point that a lot of people seem to forget about whenever they see right. those numbers. And it's well, also and, uh, and like the U.S. doing it, it wasn't just conversation, meaning like the yeah. the, the for uh, for us specifically, us being the United States of America, meaning the the loss of control of being able to be or being able to issue debt in our own currency, which, you know, potentially digital currencies like blockchain could ultimately cause a problem for, or crypto could cause a problem for, that that is a, a huge threat, I think, at least just to the United States. Now, you talk about some of these disenfranchised other countries that, that don't have that privilege. Obviously, the stakes are different, but I think it's much, much higher here due to that alone. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, right? I, I mean, if you look at the way that the U.S. financial system works, um, the the ability to adjust interest rates, as an example, and to, like you said, you know, sort of print new debt or or go and buy bonds, municipal or otherwise, uh, you know, in tranches to sort of artificially flatten out some adjustments to the economic pathway i don't know i'm not an economist but it's usually what we're doing if you took those levers away it could have an extreme effect on peaks and troughs too yeah let me throw a fact out here steven mentioned the inflation rate of argentina uh so in 2013 their inflation rate was 10.62 percent by 2017 it was 25.68 percent 2018 34.28 2019 53 and a half percent inflation that's they haven't insane. posted 
haven't posted the 2020 numbers yet, but 53% inflation, it's it's wild. Uh, and then I went and found the US inflation rates. So uh, from about 2015, 2016-ish to 2019, it was kind of hovering right around 2%. 2020, it dipped almost to zero, uh, but you could basically call it about 1%. 2021 so far, we're up over 4%, 4.2%. So that's what the that's what the numbers look like there, but hey, uh, let me shift back over and I just want to say too for the listeners, whenever ETC is mentioned, that's equal to or that that means Ethereum Classic, right? That's uh, that's its um, what do you call that? Not call sign, but um, ticker. Yeah, ticker. Yeah, there you go. Uh, dollar sign ETC. So, uh, Stephen, what's what's next that you see on the train for ETC? Where's it going? Uh, what applications are coming to it? How should it be seen, viewed, used? How does it compare to Bitcoin uh, when we have this whole proof of work, proof of stake thing and what's happening with Ethereum 2.0? Maybe even a brief history. Because um, I, yeah, I, I, mean, I was actually, so I think the way we got here, right, was Aaron, you had found or shared or someone had shared with you an article that I believe Stephen wrote. Yeah. And I, I, I was, was looking at it and he right. has a brief history there that I think would be valuable. For, for everyone to hear on on how ETC came to be. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy to introduce ETC with some brief history and then uh, go into what's been going on. Especially recently, ETC it went pretty crazy in the in the markets. Um, so Ethereum Classic, uh, especially I'm, I'm assuming if anyone is new to crypto or you never even heard about Ethereum Classic, so. If, when, when Ethereum was launched in 2015, let's say it was one network, right? And um, there's this thing called the DAO, which was supposed to be a decentralized venture capital fund for Ethereum projects, a bunch of people. And they uh, got millions and upon millions, tens of millions of dollars raised through uh, an ICO. So they made a smart contract, they held an ICO. And the smart contract had more holes than Swiss cheese and was exploited and a lot of people lost their money. And um, and there wasn't anything wrong with the protocol because a lot of people like to say it was hacked. It's like, no, you wrote some bad code and someone... Uh, took advantage of it. Yeah, took advantage of it. And they also published the uh, the vulnerabilities before that, <laughs> before it was exploited. So, uh, so, so and, and when you think about like Bitcoin or, or, or immutability or trusted historical ledger in general, like, like, hey, if you forget your private key, does the, the Bitcoin network have to uh, bail you out in that way? Like, no, they're not going to fork you. You have to take, that's one of the things of crypto is taking absolutely resp responsibility uh, for your, for your basically for your account on the network and your activities there. So these ICO investors got wrecked and, and part of the community wanted to fork their money back. Part of the community said, this is not, blockchain or immutability at all the you just can't fork a network to bail someone's project on the network um so the the chain that decided to fork the money back would became what continued with the ethereum brand and the ETH ticker symbol and of course the foundation the trademark went to that side so there's no there is no legal winning of having the canonical chain being called ethereum so the canonical chain rebranded to Ethereum Classic and adopted the ETC ticker symbol. And um, and so at that point, Ethereum Classic and Ethereum, their cousin chains, 
And, you know, all the technology is pretty much uh, cross-compatible. And some of the major differences have come since uh, in 2017, Ethereum Classic adopted a uh, fixed supply monetary policy. Um, so on the ETC side, like, obviously we're like, it's like, Hey, don't fork anybody's money away. Code is law. We need immutability or else you're not trusted historical ledger. So you have a lot of fundamentalists and people who love philosophy and stuff. And also people who, um, you know, they kind of have that, uh, I would say like more of a Satoshi mindset on things. So in 2017, Ethereum classic adopted a, uh, fixed monetary policy where every, Five million blocks. The block reward is reduced by twenty percent, and I believe the total supply cap of all of Ethereum class that can exist is around two hundred ten million ETC. Um, and I think that the total liquidity is like maybe more than half of that. I haven't checked. Uh, yeah, just it's recently. around one sixty. I think one hundred sixty million. Yeah. So so um, and that's and and I I think a lot of people in crypto and also when it comes to like why do we love crypto like if bitcoin was just inflationary i wouldn't even like it at all like you need limitations and deflation and the store value properties so that's something we value ex- like extremely much in uh theorem classic and um so it differs from monetary policy in that way from ethereum also when it comes to the vision when ethereum even before ethereum was launched there was this agenda for proof of stake and that was actually kind of rigged in the paper and the code and you know like ethereum's proof of work is inefficient because it's it was kind of meant to be rigged for a proof of stake but in the in ethereum classic side we're kind of like you know we 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 do believe in proof of work uh, we want to remain proof of work, and um, but one of the problems with that is obviously when Ethereum, when 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 the DAO hack or not DAO hack, when the DAO fork happened, Ethereum Classic was technically a minority chain. People thought it was going to die. Even quote from the some of the founders from the Ethereum that supported the DAO were like, "Oh no, don't worry, it's just going to be dead." But we we prevailed and we survived, and um, I guess a lot of people like to say like we're the cockroaches of crypto like you, no one could just get rid of us and we're very organic community and grassroots and um you know and i don't think ethereum classic even had anyone doing like a marketing budget or anything till maybe probably the end of 20 2018 it's always been extremely grassroots um and that's what and, and people in the community like a lot of people generally know each other which is really, really, uh, really cool. And um, so when it came to, I guess you say that when, you, when you're a separate chain, there's also a separate vision. So you have proof of work. And I think uh, mid last year, IOHK reinstated their Ethereum Classic Core de- uh, development team. So they have the largest dev team now and they're working on a, uh, the Mantis client, which is a canonical client. Um, obviously, along with the uh, ETC Cooperative and um, ETC Labs, and um, you know, and I would say the past two years is kind of catch up, just uh, porting over Ethereum um, upgrades, just so we could be inclusive of those, because a lot of Ethereum users could be building on ETC as well, and uh, so everything's cross compatible, all the opcodes, etc. But um, I would say where we are now. 
there's three there's three key proposals that are in development or and already have implementations. So, the, and I guess you say this is the roadmap for ETC, or at least the proposed roadmap, because we have to go through the ECIP process. Um, but the, uh, the first thing is uh, changing the proof of work algorithm to KEKEK 256, uh, also known as uh, SHA-3. Bitcoin is SHA-2. Um, Ethereum is like Etherhash or Hashimoto. And then uh, another one of the proposals is adopting a proto-treasury call, which we're actually having a uh, public community meeting, um, I would say, at... Uh, 10, 10 a.m. CT today to debate that proposal a little bit. Um, but that one is a proposal because Ethereum Classic has always relied on uh, donations and benefactors. So adopting a treasury would help fund um, multiple independent core development teams. And a lot of the research and the roadmap that we would uh, love to pursue. Um, so and also, also fund community grants. And then another, and then I would say the third major uh, proposal on the roadmap is uh, checkpointing. So ATC being a minority chain, like it's 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 historically had fifty one percent attacks, which have been which are now being prevented via the uh, it's called the mess solution, which is proprietary into one client, which has a supermajority share. So right now it's it is resisting. Uh, fifty-one percent attacks. But wait, 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 wait! Explain that one. That one's that one's really curious to me. There, how are you preventing fifty-one percent attacks? That that sounded really neat. So, so the uh, Go Ethereum client that's for Ethereum Classic has like ninety percent share of the hash rate. So, mess uh, the mess solution basically says, oh, okay, so there's going to be a node that's going to broadcast like a thousand blocks. We have to look at the difficulty, and if the difficulty is greater than the canonical chain, then it'll be valid. So right. be, basically, uh, whatever it would cost to attack ETC, you could probably 30x that, and it'll be kind of like attacking Ethereum in a way, hmm. um, which which is also extremely expensive. I yeah, mean, if you could burn, if you could, burn, if you want to burn a half a million dollars for an hour, I mean, uh, that's a lot of money. But um. Steven, does the recent rise like that started in May for ETC, does that make it more difficult as well on top of it? Are yeah, absolutely. More yeah, minors, absolutely. More? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the hash rate has at least doubled because of that um, that rise. And um, I would say in Q3 of 2020, we had those 51% attacks. And um, and that's also the time where we adopted some, some resistance to 51% attacks. And... Um, and you know, and, and crypto had just a, a crazy bull run, um, and and I would say in Q1, Q2 of 2021, and ETC was largely not a part of that trend. Um, exchange confirmations were extremely high because of security reasons from the 51% attack. So ETC was really in recovery mode, and. I would say before the 51% attacks, people don't know this, but Ethereum Classic had more organic on-chain transactions than Litecoin, Cardano, Dash, Zcash. Like literally most of the top 10 and top 20 ETC was outperforming them on maybe not in price, but as far as utilization, yeah. it was uh, it was being pretty crazy. And at one point it reached uh, Bitcoin transaction volume. 
I think wow. two times two times in its history. So, and you think if you look at ETC liquidity, it's one of the it's it's often one of the most traded. Sometimes top twenty, sometimes top ten, and of course, most recently, sometimes uh, top five. Um, I've even seen seen it in third place before. And I'm not a trader by any means, but just when I but uh, as a technical person, the data I, I do look at the data, and I and my my opinion is very uh, valuable. And um, and throughout the year. I guess ETC's uh, ETC was almost acting like a non-crypto-backed stablecoin. It was just having a very steady and non-volatile price for for quite a few months, and um, and it was really weird because I remember I was looking at uh, the transaction data that was happening on chain, and ETC had this weird habit of when the market was red, it might have been, but ETC was probably the only thing that was green. And um, I guess say uh, as far as as far as being higher, and then I, I look at the transaction data. I'm like, I see like double and triple transactions like during the market at this time. And I'm like, okay, so the market is getting slushed, but Ethereum Classic is doing fine. But transactions are also increasing. So would that imply that Ethereum Classic is being used as a silver to Bitcoin in that case? I would say absolutely. Um, I know in the 2017 bull market when when i had a few cryptos etc was actually more performing than bitcoin cash and litecoin because those 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 networks were so congested so i would say definitely etc while we don't have as many depths as ethereum we definitely have uh as far as uh, an alternative the bitcoin and altcoin we're very performant when it comes to people who are using etc for transactions and 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 that's very good um because you look at you look at some of these networks, you see their on-chain utilization and it's very low. I think I looked at um, DOT's active addresses like Polkadot and um, recently, I did a post about this on Twitter to, to the date when I seen it, but um, they had like active addresses was like uh, 8,000. And I looked at ETC active addresses and it was uh, just above 80,000 uh, for the 24 hour. So I'm like, Okay, so you have all these other cryptos. Even ADA doesn't have as many daily transactions as ETC. I'm not sure about about today, but if you look at the on-chain statistics, ETC is really being used for uh, transactions. Um, so, so yeah. Sorry, I mean, just I, a quick oh, question. Or, yeah, sorry. Uh, so as Ethereum moves to proof of stake, and etc stays proof of work like bitcoin do you see etc becoming like btc as a store of value due to that or um, do you think I'm people not, haven't even thought that yet or where I, do you I don't see think that? i don't think too many people have been thinking about that but that's a big trend that we're because etc has i guess say when the dow fork happened there was kind of an identity crisis but at the end of the day when I like to say when if Bitcoin and Ethereum had a baby, it would it would probably be Ethereum Classic, um, because you have the Bitcoin take on money, and the send functionality take on Ethereum into into this one project. Yeah, that, and that's um, what fascinated me, and why I went and started researching it and found you and invited you to the show because that that was my thought as well. I'm just curious yeah. of yeah where you see all that going. That's why yeah, I just absolutely. And when, um, awesome. And, and, and when, 
and, and a lot of people, and I've seen some big media articles too. I saw this one, one, one Bluebird journalist say something about ETC. They're, they're, cause they're trying to, trying to explain what's going on in ETC. But I would say you guys, a show is the only known uh, podcast or media thing that has contacted an ETC person directly about what's been going on recently. And I wow. listened to this Bloomberg one. They're like, what's going on with ETC? They're like, people are just trying to buy other things than Bitcoin. And Ethereum is doing this. I'm like, wait, this person just didn't explain anything about ETC. Right. <laughs> but like, you got, like, we're due diligence. You got to reach out to people. Hear that, Bloomberg? But- we're doing it. We're doing the work. That's right. Bloomberg, <laughs> reach out to us and we'll find you the right people. What's going on there? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but uh, a lot of people like to say, "Oh, ETH rise to proof of stake is benefiting ETC." It's like absolutely not. Um, like the Ethereum ecosystem, that's another topic for another story. But a lot of ETH-centric actors have att- tried to attack and kill ETC multiple times in its history. Um, and when it comes to Ethereum moving to proof of stake, um, there's this, there's this, there's this uh, speculation that oh, when ETH moves to proof of stake, we're gonna ETC is gonna get all the miners and and all this stuff, and um, and one of the problems with that is that was a speculation that was unfortunately uh, dominant for ETC for uh, I would say since the DAO fork, um, people were like yeah, we don't have to worry about the proof of work, uh, we're just gonna inherit Ethereum. Meanwhile, we get um, at least. I mean, we, meanwhile, we get fifty-one percent attacks. Like we had a few of those in our history, and because we're a minority chain to Ethereum, and when you're a minority chain, you don't get to benefit from, from the security assumptions of proof of work. Like it's kind of insanity. Like you're a minority chain, you have this other chain that's uh, several hundred x percent greater than you. They could control the network if they wanted to. And, um, you know, there's been ETH pools that have tried to coordinate attacks and stuff like that historically in ETC. And um, and that's why changing the proof of work, because it, changing the proof of work is part of the roadmap, because, like, if you want to be proof of work, you got to be the apex predator in your proof of work. And any network that does not specialize in its hardware class is subject to 51% attacks. Or, and if you are, if you do specialize in your hardware class, then you're generally not 51% attacked, and no network that has had those properties has been 51% attacked. So, uh, and also when you change the proof of work to something like SHA-3, you're also way more efficient. I mean, Ethereum ecosystem, they say, oh, it's all equitable GPUs and stuff, but that's kind of not true. Um, obviously anyone can get a GPU and try to mine, but obviously their portion is going to be like nothing compared to the people that are trying to compete against. And the ETHash algorithm, if you even read the white paper, when you, it says we're implementing this part of the algorithm because we want proof of stake. Like it literally says that in, in the white paper. So the things were designed inefficiently to, um, to uh, try to sway the network to proof of stake. And proof of stake was supposed to happen. I remember one time it was, we were like, it's going to happen in 2019. I don't know, 2019 comes around. Oh, I guess it didn't. Um, But if we move to something like SHA-3, like people want to have environmental concerns about uh, proof of work. It's like, okay, well, at least let's get to an efficient algorithm that's something that's uh, more purpose-built for what it's for unlike Dagger Hashimoto. And um, and we can have efficient hardware where one piece of hardware 
an algorithm that's extremely accessible. Like when it comes to SHA-3, like there's so many libraries for SHA-3. There's so much open source stuff out there. You could go 3D print a case, get a chip in it, and you could basically build your own uh, purpose uh, ASIC machine or something like that. But also uh, when it comes to migrating to Ethereum, it's like, it's so we got all these 51% attacks or minority chain, but we're still going to say that we're going to rely on Ethereum's roadmap. I would say, why would we do that? Why couple, why couple our network to another chain's roadmap, which has historically uh, not been too favorable to us? Um, obviously, but there's a lot of cross compatibility. But there's some some actors there that you know have always wanted to see ETC die. So it's like, uh, why 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 be under some other network's wing or couple your your technology and feature set to a network that's literally going to be abandoned because of Ethereum 2.0. It's li- they're literally creating a new network and they're abandoning that one. So we're going to take the, we're going to eat the leftovers. I would say, hell no, let's go do some innovative, innovative novel stuff. And that's why we have um, the proposals like Keck 256 draw three, the treasury, uh, which would fund a lot of the innovation and um, things like checkpointing and with IOHK inbound, you know, they have a lot of great scientists and everything. They're doing research on NEPA powers, fly clients, um, uh, KEVM. Uh, it's a more, more securely written Ethereum virtual machine. Like there's so much cool stuff that Ethereum could have been that Ethereum classic can do. And I think that's the exciting thing about, about uh, the future of ETC. That's awesome, man. Way to bring that home. That was good. I think it's going to blow some minds for some of our listeners. Uh, it just blew yeah. my mind. Ethereum <laughs> virtual machine. My goodness. The, you're going <laughs> to, I didn't have things to do today. My day would be shot uh, just based off that alone. That was awesome. Yep. Yep. Okay. Russ, do you want to shut it down? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, so first off, Stephen, thank you for coming on the show. This was this was awesome. You, you are, of course, welcome back. If you ever have uh, specific topics or updates on ETC that you, you want to get out there, just reach out to us. Uh, you know where to find us. Let us know. We'll get you back on to go through some more updates. But this was great. And for everyone else out there, thank you very much for listening. Please like, share, retweet, tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, and then, of course, just thank you for, for listening and joining us today. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Peace.